Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. It's P&Q here, Philippa Hall, ringing round the village, trying to find the right toothpaste for Rylan. And clad only in a remarkably skimpy pair of shorts, it's Quentin Rayner. I'm afraid, folks, it's a stipulation Philippa insists on. Really? Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. While swearing allegiance only to Ambridge, there's you lot, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, a veritable bunch of blockheads and man buns. This week's Dumpty Dum tune is from the brilliant academic archers and Dumpty Dum mashup meetup weekend. And on this episode, we hear thoughts from our Rob, Jen, our Ambridge Pony Club, Witherspoon, Richard Biffo Prop, Kate and Catherine, God Squad Mia, and none other than Anon of Ambridge. Plus there's a couple of two-minute histories from Stephen, or more accurately since Stephen's, as he reflects on the Vicars of Ambridge, along with Tweet of the Week and the Facebook Roundup. Marvellous. Thank you all so much for your calls. You are all absolutely brilliant. Before Q and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week, which should be a Roundup of the Week in Ambridge from Suey, who does a brilliant job every week. Sadly, there was a a technical issue this week. So we had written it and recorded it, but there was a microphone problem and it just couldn't be redone in time. So when desperate times happen, desperate measures have to be yes. taken. And oh, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> I just oh. apologise oh, no. in advance. This is going to be one of those, isn't it? <laughs> it was done gonna... hastily. And... You're doing it. You, you, you can't resist, can you? <gasps> I'm just so sorry, everyone. <laughs> she believed the publicity, people. <laughs> She thinks she wants this. <laughs> okay. Two minutes of pain. Here we go. Kenton sorting, bunting out. He's struggling with the mess. Natasha's concerned for Tom. To Helen she confessed. Chelsea spots a new salon. Committee work must cease. Jim's name has been entered, he's selected to be Grease. Dum dee dum diddly dee, dum dee dum diddly dee, dum dee dum, dum dee dum. Harrison is on the case, J Lloyd's a different chap. Jim's visit backfires badly, he almost gets a slap. 
Justin visits Bridge Farm to assess the forest garden. Lee wants cuddles, bad idea. Helen begs for his pardon. Jolene hears that Bridge Farm's won, the bull's bright light's been lost. Kenton might have interfered, she's well and truly cross. Kirsty asks for help at show, but Helen fears she'll fail. Rob's been questioned, statement checked, Helen recalls each detail. Dumpty dum, diddly dee, dumpty dum, diddly dee, dumpty dum, dumpty dum. Joyce chap Mick looks for celeb, gets Rylan real, not fake. Sykesy visits Brookville Farm, gets served Jill's lemon cake. Linda phones in panic, she's no spare room left for Rylan. Ruth can't help, it's not her job, but Ben's phone turned to silent. Cursed is 42 today, Helen buys toasted sandwich. Ben's already let spare room, how will poor Linda manage? Natasha gets Tom to talk, they kiss in celebration. Well, at the same time, Bridge Farm lights up in bright illumination. Honestly, I'm very impressed. No, I am. I mean, you knocked that up this afternoon. Uh, I, I, do you, you should be writing rhymes inside birthday cards and Christmas cards. I mean, to get make that all rhyme is fantastic. You even got toasted sandwiches in there. Oh, it's, it's very... bad enough doing it, but listening back... <laughs> That's brilliant. Well done. And that is the end of Dumpty Dum, folks. Goodbye. (laughs) It is forever. No one will listen again. No, honestly. Huge. Well done. Thank you. Well, thank you to to anyone who hasn't turned off. And of course, to Jan Mitchell for the fabulous ukulele playing. Yes, yes. How do we follow that? People might be wondering why we're here, actually, Philippa, because we should say this episode marks the partial return of P&Q. We'll be steering the great ship Dumpty Dum through the choppy waters of Borsetshire once a month from now on, and other hosts, including Jacqueline, will be taking the helm for the rest of the time. So we're sort of rearranging the deck chairs, aren't we, Philippa? But thankfully, we're still afloat. Yes. Well, hopefully, even after that song. It'll be back to normal (laughs) next week. Suey will be back. Don't worry. (laughs) So, Q, how has your week been? My week? It's been a funny old week, Philippa. It started with the funeral of a a dear colleague who died far too young. Fantastic turnout at the funeral, about 400 people. It was a lovely occasion and a chance to meet all sorts of people and remember her. So, yeah, it started like that and it finished just now with me running up the hill from a Coronation Street party. Interspersed with an overnight stay in Norfolk as well and a cancelled trip to London yesterday because I've had the lurgy all week. So a varied week. Oh, and I managed to take my ID so I could vote in the local elections. So, yeah, that's my week. Better that, Philippa. (laughs) Well, it's just been a normal week for me. Son's eyes are bad. Mm. A daughter is near to starting her A-level exams, so it's a tense house, you could say. But yesterday... I went with a friend to Stratford-upon-Avon and we went to watch the play Hamnet. Oh, is it good? By Maggie Farrell. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. Oh, good, because my wife's going to that with a friend. She's read the book before you ask, yes. I should expect so, yes. Excellent. It was very good. Good, yes. Yes, and we went out for lunch before and we decided we would go without a main course and so that we could come home and say, when asked, oh, we only had starters We haven't shared the fact that we ordered three starters each and we had pudding, but we just thought it was a good way of getting around it. Yes, I'm convinced. (laughs) Others aren't. No, that's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you, our caller inners. Hello, Ambridge3962. And let's start with Rob, who's got timetables and tellies on his mind. Hi there, Philippa Quentin and Dumpty Dummers around the world. Rob Williams speaking. The latest thing on Eurovision has just been soaking through. They're going to get Rylan to judge it. We knew he was going to be on the show. We'd heard all the uh, rumours and seen stuff here and there and everywhere. The thing is, how are they going to get him to do the judging for their bit of it? Well, apparently, it's just going to be done early on the Saturday. 
Now, the problem is there are up to 37 countries taking part in Eurovision and there are acts up to 10 minutes each. So you're looking at about six hours, maybe a bit less, maybe a bit more. But, I mean, really? He's going to be getting in early so that he can get up there to Liverpool for, what, early evening, a couple of hours. He's going to have to be starting about nine o'clock in the morning. I can't imagine that going down desperately well. And then everybody's got to wander off and do whatever until the TV programme starts about 8 o'clock in the evening, is it? Something like that, can't remember. Anywho, that's, you know, just another bit of the Ambridge Fairies going to have to start sprinkling their magic around. The other thing that was bothering me was they managed to get all this money out of Justin... And they're going to have the big screen, they're going to have all the decorations, yada, yada, yada. Paul said that the screen in the bolt was rubbish, so they're getting a big one. How are Kenton and Jolene going to feel once the big screen is taken away and they have to go back to watching whatever it is they watch on their teeny tiny portable tally or whatever they've got? Hey-ho, take care all. He's, he's really drilling down about uh, the chronology, timetables, size of televisions. I, I heard his call... Rob's call earlier in the week, and I thought, because Rob said, how are they going to get through 37 countries? It's going to take at least six hours. Well, I'm sure there was a reference by Linda to somebody else that there was only going to be 12 acts. So if it's 12 acts, some of them are going to be 10 minutes long, apparently. Can you imagine it? That's two hours, isn't it? Yes, because isn't there like a semi-final for the Eurovision and then the final final? So Mm. there are lots of countries taking part. Rob, if if it assuages you at all, I think it's not 37, it's 12. I don't think it's going to be six hours. I think Ryan Clark Neal, I didn't know he was called Clark Neal. I thought he was Ryan Clark, but he's Ryan Clark Neal, apparently. Could just about get to Liverpool in time, but I, 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 I agree with you. And plenty of others have spotted the floor and all this. I mean, Ryland would be up there days in advance, won't he? But, you know, it's it's the Ambridge Ferry. He's going to make it. Of course he's going to make it. Goodness sake, Rob. And the size of the, um, the telly... Well, I mean, Kenton won't mind, will he? He's worried about the electricity bill. He doesn't want a great big telly in there, does he? So worry not, Rob, worry not. Come on. No, I'm with Rob on all of this. I just think it's impractical how Ryland is going to be there and then get to the actual recording and the rehearsals. I just, it concerns me about this. And the TV in the bull. How much money is Justin actually contributing? Because they are renting a TV for one night and they're buying a disco ball. I mean, are we talking about 100 quid here that he's given? Is that the the huge amount? It can't be that much. So I've, I've got a question about that. Another question I've got is that they're going to have a picnic on the green in the afternoon. Who has a picnic in the afternoon? I've just had one. Yes, but it's... Coronation Street party, you haven't. But you shouldn't have one in the... It should be at a meal time. It should be at a lunch time. Why? Or at t- dinner time. It shouldn't be... Let your hair down, girl. Let your hair down. But how much food do you eat? Oh. Do, you, do you go without your lunch or do you... I, I, it just troubles me a lot about when you should eat. You don't want to arrive there starving and get one volivant. That's that's a worry for me, whether it's yeah. Well, it's food, so it is food, so you're worried, obviously. Yeah, yes, of, of course. And I am also concerned that we won't hear the Eurovision celebration because that's mainly going to be on Saturday when there isn't an episode. Yeah. So is it all going to be references? I thought that. And thought this that. issue that Ben had unfortunately had the room booked so he couldn't offer it to Rylan. Who books one mm. night at Brookfield? I think it's Ryland. I think Ryland's booked it himself and then oh. will turn up and it will be like, oh, Ryland. Oh. It's going to be one of those reported events, isn't it? Which is annoying because there's been such a big build-up. Aren't we going to hear Brookfield's Sound of Music? Are we not going to hear yes. Ben in Lederhosen? <laughs> I, th- I think we are entitled to this. But, so, but if it's Saturday mornings, you say there's no... Saturday edition. So when is Ryland going to do the judging? He's going to turn up. Oh, Ryland, Ryland, Ryland! Can't wait for it till tomorrow. And then, oh, Ryland's gone. He had a great time, and he decided the Lederhosen was terrible. Yes, I, that's going to be awful. But they do record some of the specials, like when they've worked on a play and when they did Calendar Girls. We heard that as a separate event. I mm. would pay good money to yeah. hear this Eurovision contest between everyone. I want to hear Helen cooking up this. Omelette, <laughs> effectively. Fritters. Yes, uh, these Spanish fritters. 
and I want to hear, well, I just want to hear it all. I am there for it with popcorn. So do you think it might be a spin-off special? No, they won't do it. I just wish they would. So are we going to hear it? Because he's doing it on Saturday, isn't he? Mm, I don't think so. I, I can't imagine, unless it's, oh, gosh, did anybody record yesterday? Yes, I recorded it on my phone. Let me play some for you. Mm. I think we're going to be shortchanged. Yeah. Rob, that was a superb yeah. call. Thank you so much. Yeah, maybe Rob, maybe Rob's, maybe Rob's onto something. He always is. Yeah, he maybe always he is. is. He is. Yeah. Well, next up is Jen, full of ire from ire about no, no, no. Helen. Air, air. Oh. oh, is it air? air? God, <laughs> you need to type it phonetically. Bloody hell! Why do I bother? <laughs> I'm keeping I, all this in. Ire, anyway. air, ire, air. <laughs> next up is Jen, full of ire from air about Helen. Greetings everybody out there in dum de dum land. Um, Jen here. There was a question asked by Sunny Ormond at Plague Lillian at the Academic Archers Conference. She was very shocked that anybody couldn't love Helen. And I think that's perhaps because she knows Helen's actress, who is indeed an absolutely fabulous actress and by all accounts is an absolutely lovely person as well. However, the character of Helen is very much not a lovely character and I think we've had the absolutely classic episode this week to demonstrate why I hate Helen. Poor Kirsty says to Helen, can, can you help me with this Eurovision thing? There's other people there got families and I'm all on my own and I mean that's a really sad, that's really sad that somebody, you know, Kirsty's asking for help. She's feeling vulnerable. She's feeling low. That deserved a bit of time to explore that and go, oh, hey, Kirsty, you know, what's going on with you? Not a chance. Helen followed that up by saying, oh, yeah, uh, like, no, no way, too much for me, which, you know, fair enough, but she could have suggested that Henry helped her out or Jack got involved or, you know, these kids that she does all the babysitting for maybe helped her out for once. But no, no, none of that from Helen. And then Kirsty's birthday came up, and again, for Kirsty, you know, she's had a really difficult life in many ways, Kirsty. Okay, she wasn't a victim of coercive control and she didn't end up stabbing her boyfriend, but she has had her issues, and now she's in a house with Roy, and she has nothing, no plans for her birthday. Does good old friend Helen go, never mind, let's go down the bowl, let's go out for a Chinese, I'll get Lee to mind the boys, what would you like to do? Within two seconds, it's all about her and Rob. That's all she can talk about. So for goodness sake, Helen, get an appointment with Auntie Lizzie's therapist, the magic one that fixes everything really, really brilliantly. Get some therapy and stop using your friend as an unpaid therapist, which just puts your problems onto her. Oh, Jen, I completely agree. I am not a fan of Helen. The minute she starts talking, I just want to switch off. And I agree, poor Kirsty celebrating a birthday with a toasted sandwich and not even supporting her with her need for help with the Eurovision contest. I, and then when they were called as witnesses and Helen seemed completely confused that she was going to be called up and it was sort of going to, they were going to go over all the details again. Of course this was going to happen. Oh, and I just felt this week there was a lot of over-explaining things as if they were expecting people to miss some of the episodes so that they'd go back over some of the details as the week progressed. So, yes, I, I agree, Jen. I'm with you. Yes, I, I find I have this sort of visceral reaction as soon as Helen opens her mouth. And I, and I try and fight it because I think, no, she's been through a lot. But she just... She is she's such a killjoy, isn't she? She just bloody sucks the oxygen out of any room. I can see Kirsty comes with full of enthusiasm about her Eurovision ideas. And it's just like, oh, no, no, no. There's no sort of, oh, let me think about that. Tell me more. It's all, well, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, I need to look at the recipe first. It's fritters, for God's sake, you know. And um, even I can make a fritter. And um, she sounds nice, but I always think she's patronising and insincere. Mm. I mean, she gave Tom a deserved telling off the other day, didn't he, for the photo business. But even then, you're almost on Tom's side because of the way she does it, even though she's in the right. Uh, so th there is something very odd about uh, how our chemical reactions to, to Helen. And it was interesting, wasn't it, at the 
Dumpty Dum academic archers mashup that I think Sonny Ormond and Kerry Davis, the scriptwriter, were genuinely taken aback <laughs> at the level of dislike of Helen, the character, because I think, I suppose, if you've been acting with somebody for years, decades, um, you, you know, you, your perception is different because you're working with a, mm. no doubt, a very nice actress but we're dealing with the character and i don't i think they were genuinely taken aback well, didn't you well i mean they asked two different questions the first question was who likes helen and there were a couple of hands put up for that but and the next question was who wants to hear what happens to helen and then most of us put our hands up yeah. so yeah if we could just hear what's going on with her but not actually have to hear her voice <laughs> i was on a long car journey this week to manchester in the middle of the week and the conversation was had in the car about which person in Ambridge you would want to voice Ooh. your satnav. <laughs> and Helen received nil, nil point, no votes at all. I don't know. I was thinking if I wanted quite assertive instructions, Linda would be a good one. I was thinking Linda. Very clear cut. You'd hear them, wouldn't you? But then Lillian could be a lot of fun. There's more people that I could think of that I don't want to give my satnav instructions than those that I do. I think, disturbingly, quite a few people would vote for Adam, wouldn't they? Because they like his voice. Oh, no. But, I mean, you know, <clears throat> you get the the like, the warning coming up all the time saying tiredness can kill if you had Adam <laughs> talking to you through your satnav. Uh, so Chelsea would be fun, but uh, she'd probably give you all the wrong directions. <laughs> so... <laughs> I I me, I'd, I'd, I'd go for Brian. Of course you would. Yeah, clear, of strong, assertive would. voices. Yes. Then I'll go for Josh. That's that. if you're going for Brian, I'll be predictable as well and go for you, Josh. You on a journey to Manchester, listening to Josh? Oh my word! Yeah, I'm fine with that. He'll be he'll be modern, effective, and not mess around. So yes, there we are. Irritating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. I think I think Jen, you are probably in the majority, but I think uh, there is a there is a minority, isn't there? Well, yes. Yeah, funny you should say that, Q. We've already heard the case for the prosecution against Helen, so here's Witherspoon with the defence. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, P and Q, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. And to those who celebrated, I hope you had a happy coronation weekend. First, a shout out to Paula, Amy, and Debbie, who joined me for dinner in New York for the Dumpty Dum Academic Archers Weekend. Unfortunately, Alex, Cranky Yankee, and New York Nigel couldn't make it. Hopefully next time. We were, of course, talking all things archers. And one thing, the two New Yorkers, one Philadelphian and one New Jerseyite British expat all agreed upon. We all liked Helen, or at least didn't dislike her, and didn't understand the venom that some podcast hosts and many dumpty dummers direct toward her. Yes, Helen is an imperfect individual, as are all in Ambridge, and frankly, each and every one of us. If we weren't, I'd be out of a job. I thought she had a good week in her relationships with Lee, Kirsty, and Natasha. Okay, she probably shouldn't have shared with Kirsty the bit about Natasha saying she was scared that Tom didn't love her anymore. That may have been a bit triggering for Kirsty, but she seemed to have handled it. I started listening in earnest to the archers when Helen was pregnant with Henry, and Tony was so disapproving. I really felt for her. Then there was the whole Rob ordeal and her history of an eating disorder and her previous partner dying by suicide. I know people say she was already dislikable, but she's had a lot of traumas in her life. Do listen to Royfield's first episode of Brown People for a look at the effects of trauma on women. Anyway, I'll conclude by saying I think we put Helen under a much more critical magnifying glass than we do other Ambridge residents. I'm suggesting we be more kind to her. Talk to you soon. We need to be more kind to her. Philippa, can you can you dredge some kindness up front? I hear what Witherspoon's saying, and I understand it, but please don't make you're, me. You're struggling for please breath there. You're struggling for breath. Well, I must say hello to Paula, Amy and Debbie from the US Dumpty Dum oh, indeed. Uh, contingent. Yes, uh, interesting qualification there from Witherspoon that um, 
We all like Helen. Well, at least we didn't dislike her. <laughs> uh, there's time. There's time. Don't worry. Both Helen and Natasha suddenly got insecure about their men, didn't they, this week? Both were fretting that their men had gone off them. Yeah. The men are worse than the women, aren't they, <laughs> in these two relationships? <laughs> I mean, God, life with Tom and or Lee. God, what a choice. All right, million million pounds, Philippa. If you had to, you know, go off with one of them, Tom or Lee, who would it be? Oh, you see her face, people. You should see her face. I'm giving a million pounds. A million pounds. You've got to go and have a... I, cu- I couldn't. No, no, no. You get one, one, a million pounds. You've got to... A million pounds a week yes. for every week I put up with Well, them. all right. And I've got to stay with them for the rest of my life. Yes. Then it would have to be Tom, but I'd wind him up so much he would go in one of his huffs and not speak to me and not come near me, so that would work quite well. Lee would just be, oh. I just, no. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But my question is, what were Helen and Lee watching on TV on Monday? I put this on the Dum Dum Facebook group. Somebody said, was it Howard's Way? I said, no, I really didn't think it was Howard's Way. There must be somebody out there listening to this podcast that can tell me what the programme was because you heard the end little It was tune. a tiny little squirt. I did listen to it thinking I wanted to help you out, but um, no. You failed. You just qu- queried my grammar and didn't actually help answer the question. That's right. Yeah, Witherspoon says she had a good week with... Lee, Kirsty, and Natasha. Did she? She was hopeless with Kirsty, wasn't she, with her birthday? Hello, happy birthday. Do you want a toast? I've got your toaster sandwich. <laughs> with a candle in it? I don't know. No, I mean, I come mean... on, with a spoon noses stuff. No, <laughs> but l- let me talk about me next. <laughs> yes, I, that is true. Well, I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. Because I think there was a reason why we heard that there's no phone signal in the polytunnels. Right. So I think Rob's going to be hiding in an edible hedge and when he's eaten his way through it, Helen will then have to hide in a polytunnel and phone someone to rescue her. But of course, there's poor telephone reception in the polytunnels. The call doesn't go through. So she's going to have to do something. Kick him in the polytunnels, isn't he? Isn't she? Well, I thought I thought there was a significant almost throwaway line from Pat expressing concern that have so many people wandering around the farm in the dark. I yes. think that is a portentous, yeah. a portentous line. So are you on board with with it with Rob? Oh yes, arriving this week. I think he's going to. He's going. He's, he will be seen. Whether we hear from him is another matter. He, he'll want to intimidate, and then, then of course Lee saying, "It'll all be okay. Don't worry." Q Q theme music. I mean, that was on the, at the end of Monday's episode. Well, I mean, that's just guaranteed to be the opposite, isn't it? So Lee and Pat, I think, are anticipating some sort of return from Rob. I think. Well, we're getting, yeah, they, they've got to resolve that somehow, haven't they? And the twins were having a tantrum. I'd again, I'd be interested in Witherspoon's knowledge about this. But can I mean they're not a year old yet, so how can they be having tantrums at that age? I'd... That's true. That that's true. And and Tom can speak Welsh now. I didn't know he well, could like speak Well, like half the final episode was in Welsh anyway, wasn't it? It's like, hello, hi, hi, Natasha. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, Nova and Sarah just seem to be puking up all the time as well, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know yeah, this. And, I don't need to know. And Tom said, oh, they're having a tantrum. No, I don't know. Don't know. And do you think part of the illumination trail will be Tony's railway in the garage? I'll be very interested to see if that's all lit up. Or whether he'll allow anybody into his precious that's train true. shed. That's true. Uh, I don't know. But I think, you see, this is the balance of dum dum We've heard a call against dear Helen yeah. and we've heard a call in favour of it. So, yeah, absolutely. Both perfectly well, valid. If she if she does go to San Francisco. She's obviously going to get a, a very warm welcome, isn't she, Helen? Yes, and I really hope she does go to San Francisco as soon as possible. <laughs> so do we all. But our American cousins are clearly going to give her a very warm welcome. So that's that's they're more kind than us, clearly. They clearly are. He did, Witherspoon did ask whether we had a happy coronation. I suppose we've got to mention this, haven't we? Uh, did you have a happy coronation? Well, I spent it in Stratford, I'm, af- I'm afraid... Um, nothing too much against the royal family, but spending 100 million plus 
on a coronation at a time when things are seriously wrong in this country. Uh, I'm not happy with that. Yes. So you, you didn't watch it? No. And, well, don't get me stuck. I mean, how, how who's decided Camilla can be queen? Who's just decided that? Obviously, Charles has and Camilla. Yeah. But yeah. it just seems entirely wrong. Well, I... I watched it. It's a, it is an historic moment. It's never happened in our lifetime before, and I, I, you know, it's a, as a, it's a, it was a fantastic spectacle. You can't deny that. And uh, yeah, we all have a bit of pomp and circumstance. But the longer I watched it, the longer I thought how ridiculous it was, <laughs> because I thought back in 1953, his mother just looked the part and in a way it was appropriate because she looked stunning in all the jewellery and the ermine and all that and she was a brand new queen young and it's the start of a new era this just felt like <laughs> it just looked odd seeing these two people shuffling along Westminster Abbey and all this finery and regalia it just looked slightly ridiculous and getting into that coach and I just thought hmm um, I wonder if William is thinking this needs to be scaled back when it's my turn. You couldn't help feel it was going, well, we're going to have to go through all this again, obviously, and then quite relatively soon. I think it was a fantastic advertisement for choral music, which I'm a big fan of. Our son is very, you know, my wife is both very much involved with that. But, you know, everybody's revels in the music and it's magnificent. And if you weren't moved by Parry or Zadok the Priest or whatever, then I'll be amazed. And so it's a really good advertisement for resourcing the arts and music because, you know, folks, that's we need all this. We need all this. The, um, the parade was magnificent. But for me, the two moments I particularly enjoyed were the personal moments. I thought the service starting with a boy asking the future or the king effectively, why are you here, sir, was lovely to have the whole ceremony started by a boy. And I love the three cheers by, by, the, by the troops in the Buckingham Palace Gardens. I thought that was very moving as well. Um, so I had mixed feelings. I did have mixed feelings. But, uh, you know, when people get married, I know it's not a wedding, but sometimes when people get married and they don't have much money, they say, right, we're just going to have the service, we're going to have a cheap meal, everyone bring a plate of food, just a bit of a celebration, and in a few years' time, when we're on a better financial footing, then then we'll push the boat out and do something. Why couldn't they have just done that? Why, co- why couldn't they just have done that? We heard this week in Ambridge, Sykesy and Jill remembering about how there used to be ice on the inside of windows. This winter, there are ice on the inside of windows for so many people in this country. Mm. And, yeah. Mm. I, I, and, and, those, and those arrests of the protesters oh my was goodness. outrageous. Getting arrested for holding up completely disproportionate cardboard paper for saying anyway. This is not Um, a yeah. That's that's what the new king is meant to be defending and all that. So yeah, it was a it was a yeah. As I said, I had I had a a mixed reaction to it really. Yeah, but a great show. It was one hell of a show. So it should be for the price. Well, we've already had three calls, and uh, if you're thinking you'd like to call in one of these days, please do. We'd love to hear from you. The best way is to go to speakpipe.com slash dumptydum and send in your message that way. Honestly, it really is ever so easy. More calls in a minute, but now we ask more history, Vicar, as Stephen reflects on the parish priests of Ambridge. This is the BBC Live Programme. Here is the news. Here is part one of a two-part, two-minute history of the Vicars of Ambridge. I'll start back in the autumn of 1951, when the unnamed Vicar of St Stephen's Church, Ambridge, took up a post at Falpersham Cathedral. His replacement was the 34-year-old John Ridley, who once said that he could learn more about life listening to Dan Archer, Tom Forrest and Walter Gabriel chatting about village affairs than by finding anything out for himself. In 1955 possibly as a way of getting over his unreciprocated attraction to Christine Archer, he arranged an exchange with Norris Buckland, a vicar from an inner-city parish in London. This was not a success. Buckland was a hopeless cricket for a start, and Ridley returned. In 1961, Martin Reeford replaced John Ridley. It was to Reeford that Jennifer Archer turned in 1967, when she was pregnant with Adam. She wanted him to tell Jack and Peggy about her condition, but he persuaded her to find the courage to do it herself, which she eventually did. The following year, 1968, Martin Reeford was replaced by David Latimer, who became vicar of Ambridge and Pennyhassett. 
His health was not good, though, and he died in February 1973. Richard Adamson was another young vicar, only just 30 when he arrived with his wife Dorothy in 1973. He was a popular figure in Ambridge, and presumably also in Pennyhassett, and later on when it was added to his responsibilities, Edgeley. He was faced with a challenge when Christine wanted to marry George Barford at St Stephen's. George was divorced. The parochial church council voted against allowing it, but Adamson ignored them and went ahead with the wedding. When he left in 1988, after 15 years, he was replaced by Jerry Buckle, who was also the diocesan agricultural advisor. It was Buckle who offered a home to Sharon Richards and Clive Horobin when Sharon was pregnant with Kylie, with Sharon staying on after Clive deserted his partner and his daughter after the birth. Then in 1990, Buckle went on a missionary-type trip to Mozambique, and while he was there, he wrote to the church wardens telling them that he planned to stay in Africa. Well, you forget how many vicars there have been in Ambridge and stay in Africa rather than Ambridge. What's going on there? And you can enjoy part two of the vicar history a little later in this episode. Now, let's get back to our calling, your calls. And Richard Biffoprop is our next call and he asks us to bear in mind something important. Good evening all. Richard Beveridge here. Biffoprop on the Twitters. I hope you're all well. Sadly, rugby commitments kept me away from the uh, get-together in Birmingham, which I understand was very good and very well received. I was prompted by something Royfield said um, in his uh, conversation with Kerry Davis and Sonny Ormond about adolescent mental health. From memory, part of the role the Archers fulfills is as a public service broadcast. And I think including parts about adolescent male mental health are absolutely essential. It put me in mind of a young gentleman who I'd refereed as a school and a club player. Um, he played for one of the local clubs. He was a, a pupil, distinguished old boy, in fact, of uh, the Lancaster Royal Grammar School, and his brother is in my son's class. He took his own life at 18. A couple of weeks after he died, his club played Preston Grasshoppers. An impeccable minute silence was observed. An excellent game played out in front of a large crowd that ended as a 17-all draw. I remember sitting in the sheds after the match and realised in both the home and away dressing room the players had put his picture over every dressing space. The match and this was a great and suitable tribute to a young man gone too soon. I do some work with an organisation called Looseheads, which is a rugby charity for mental health. And... um, any means of getting the message out that it's okay not to be okay, to remind grandfathers and fathers to check in on their sons and grandsons and make sure they're all right, is very well worth doing. Fond love to all, especially Philippa's dad, a distinguished LRGS old boy in his own right. Tinkety-tonk. Oh, gosh, Richard, what uh, an amazing... Call. Love the Tinkety Tonk as always. I'm so sorry not to see you at Birmingham a few weeks ago, but I hadn't heard about the Loose Heads charity, so thank you very much for that. But oh, what a moving story you've told us. And I I am always reluctant to mention the other podcasts that I do, but I feel I have to this time because on Friday coming up is an interview with Carrie and David Grant about their book, A Very Modern Family. And an essential part of that is the mental health of young people. And they were making the point that I hadn't really considered is that we we always say about our kids that we just want them to be happy, which is exactly what I say about mine. And yet we're not teaching them. We're not giving them the tools to deal with life when they're not happy. And it's about getting that balance. And that's really something that I've been dwelling on over the the last few days having two teenagers in the house and they often like to go and shut themselves away in a room and if you ask them how they are you just get the word fine which doesn't tell you anything it's yes just asking those questions and pestering (laughs) I'm very good at pestering are you good at pestering Um, yes I can as a parent the you're torn aren't you between wanting to show concern and not wanting to make something too big a deal and therefore making something that perhaps 
is just a passing phase or a bit a bit of a dip into something more than it is. It's always a, a fine balancing act, but I think you've got to have very highly tuned an antenna and encourage your children that they can tell you anything anytime, mm. you know, when they do, to be really on the ball when they do, so they are encouraged to do so again in future and not to miss those opportunities. So I found the longer... <laughs> You know, my kids are now in their 20s. It, it never ends. I know it's a cliche, but in a way, <laughs> it, the problems become different. And in some cases, obviously more complex. You, you, it sounds self evident. You never, be, you never stop being a parent, do you? And uh, you've always got to be on the lookout for any signs, uh, I'm finding. Richard says that these archers serve as a public service. And I, I think... It has, hasn't it, in, in, in recent years. It really has t- decided to uh, expose and talk about some big issues. We've had modern-day slavery. We've had co- coercive control. We've had alcoholism, obviously. And we got this suggestion, very strong suggestion, that we're going to see some sort of incel issue with George. So um, it's good that such a high-profile programme is prepared to actually take on board these issues at the same time it's a fine balancing act between um, reflecting modern society and being a source of entertainment and relaxation as well and I know there's been criticism that's gone too far it doesn't all throw up some good storylines as well I think everybody is internally groaning a bit thinking oh we're going to have to get through Rob aren't we I think there's a big body of Archer's listeners who really don't want anything more to do with it and are dreading any return of Rob, but I, I think there's going to be something. Uh, I think we've got a call about that now. So, Richard, thank you so much for calling in with that incredibly important message. Really appreciate it. But now we go to Kate and Catherine with a random rant about Ambridge. Hi there, it's Kate and Catherine in literally the middle of nowhere, overlooking some rolling hills. And we're on a walk and we've just been considering what we were going to say calling in. And we literally slagged off everything. Everything. Rylan, explaining who Rylan was, so clunky. The, what lights, else? Uh, the lights situation, ridiculous. The lights, the gay stereotype of what's-his-face, all awful. Then I said, well, what do we actually like? And we decided not much, but what did we miss? So by now, we might have had Rob <laughs> creeping around, is it Bridge Farm, in the middle of the night. So all their biosecurity... Hank seems to have gone out the window. They don't care. They don't care. Come on, come all. <laughs> Trample across our vegetable garden that we're calling the edible forest. Also, we had to look back in the thing to work out why Rob's back in. Apparently, they're finally charging him with the abduction. And he hasn't even pleaded not guilty. And she's worrying about a court appearance. It's all just ridiculous. Um, I'd like to get him back. I'd like to get the pedo teacher back. Who was that? <laughs> Russ. Russ. And he gets his comeuppance. Oh, also that re- relative, uh, Bert's nephew. He was hilarious. Loved him. Who else? We said there was lots of people missing. Lily's missing. Lily has we want and Phoebe and people. yeah. So when the children leave home, they never see them again. So yeah. there, there was somebody else apart from the teacher. <laughs> we can't say that. Yeah, the other person we'd like is that friend of Pip's who came from her childhood and seemed to disappear for no reason. Then thought she had a sleepover because her daughter said so. It was all really strange. Very peculiar. But, and we, we like peculiar. Yeah, but I'd like the teacher to, to definitely to get his comeuppance. The, the friend from the past, perhaps she could, like, do some sort of online fraud. That would be great. Ooh, a scam. A scam. We haven't had a scam for ages. And also, still, where is Robert? Linda is getting more and more vociferous and, like, ubiquitous in every single episode. They have not addressed the fact that a cast member has died in real life. And that's just not happening. Psych seat? No. <laughs> just no. Just no. Just I mean, I love Jasper Carrot back in the day. But it's just implausible. Um, and I want him to make a move on... Jill, is it? And Leonard to get the hump. Maybe they could challenge each other to a duel. Plus, did I mention the lights? They're really irritating me. <laughs> the lights are rubbish, but Rob's going to be creeping around them any time tonight. Is the Eurovision thing happening on a Friday? Is anyone born in mind it's a train strike? Yes. They right. haven't thought through how Ryland's going to get back to Liverpool. <laughs> there must be like a dress rehearsal or something on the night before. On a tractor. Yes, oh. there are. They have the, they have the heats, don't they? They have the heats, I think, starting on Tuesday. My birthday. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere talking about all sorts Catherine and kate wow i think they've haven't left any ambridge stone unturned there have they what don't they like philippa they don't like they don't like the lights yes which uh these this uh coronation installation which is a bit implausible isn't it to get a great big installation up in 48 hours like they did 
<laughs> Kate's worried about the edible forest. She's not convinced by that. It's all these missing people's interesting as well. And I'd forgotten. Bert's relative, he was brilliant, wasn't he? And wasn't he uh, really into biscuits? I think he... Yes. The bear of biscuits, a mate for life. Yeah, what happened to uh, that friend of Pip? Because um, uh, she was all over Pip, wasn't she? This uh, former school friend wanted to sleep over and we were all thinking, oh, yes, what's going on here? Quite right, forgotten about them. Um, it's amazing that these two in the middle of nowhere have come up with everything. You haven't heard from Lily and Phoebe for ages. I mean, I think Phoebe's just a lost cause, I think. I mean, she, no mention at all during Jenny's funerals, as far as I could tell. Johnny, where the hell's Johnny? There's another one I'd like to know. Johnny's never mentioned. Yeah, I presume Phoebe's stuck in algae off the coast and is unable to reach a phone because <laughs> she's stuck there permanently. But I have a question about Sykesy. I know Kate and Catherine mentioned Sykesy. Why yes. is Sykesy in a care home? He seems not to have any medical issues. He had a bit of trouble standing up, maybe a bit of balance. But he is yes. in a full-time care home, which is going to cost forty to £50,000. And he's yep. perfectly able to... Yes, he's grumpy, but you don't get put in a care home for being grumpy. I'm not convinced. I've, I agree with them. I agree with you. I'm not convinced by Sykesy. I don't, I don't, I don't see... Kerry Davis at the Birmingham mashup said he's there to show Ben at work. But why why have Sykesy as the example? Why it's a very good point you've made. Why not have somebody who is in more more incapacitated mm. to show his caring nursing nature? Uh, he does seem very, very agile, doesn't he? He's still clearly full of vim and vigour because he was flirting mm. like anything with Jill. Walking around the farm, taking it all in querying how tidy everything yes. was, winding Leonard up, more on that in yes. a minute. I mean, yeah, I just don't understand why. Oh, I enjoyed that, yeah. What did he say? He said, I used to fancy the pants off you back then. Oh. Jill was all giggly, wasn't she? She drooled over a drizzle cake. Sykes is a strange one, and, and a strange casting as well, because he's so obviously Jasper Carrot. Yes. I can't get over the fact it's Jasper Carrot. It, it just, it's not Sykesy. It is just Jasper Carrot. I don't feel like he's gone into character. No, he hasn't transcended himself, has he? I, I don't, it's like, ooh, Jasper wants to be in it. Let's, let's find a part for him, I feel. Um, that's a good point about the train strike. How's Ryland going to get to Liverpool then with this train? Yes, because is the train strike on Friday? So how's he going yeah, to so get... Got, to Ambridge. Yeah, Rob earlier on was worried that he just wouldn't have time anyway to come to Ambridge. But mm. as Catherine and Kate have pointed out, he won't even be able to get on a train anyway. I think he'll be more worried about getting a train out of Ambridge on the Saturday. <laughs> and I presume uh, the trains will be working fine then. I th I think Eddie's going to offer him a lift in his in his limousine. Gosh. So he'll never make it, will he? Finally, we've got God Squad Mia who's saying, Lend me your ears. You are right there, Lenny? Um, it's Leonard, actually. Oh, all my friends call me Sykesy. I have no doubt about that. You know, Lenny, your bit on the side, she's a right goer. I beg your pardon, Mr Sykes. She is no bit on the side. She's my platonic... Non-sexual partner. Uh -huh. Really? I used to know her way back before political correctness was a poor man's woke. I really have no idea what you're talking about, Mr Sykes. Hey, Lenny, what's that racket coming for outside? High on a hill is a lonely Goat herd. Oh, David, can you pull up my strings a bit? <laughs> Amen, God's God, Mia. Amen. That was brilliant. You know, you're having a day that isn't so good, and then you get a call in like that, and you just think, yeah, that is hilarious. And Ben had no idea that David looked like Phil, his Ben's grandfather. I didn't understand that. Yes. Did they have they not heard of photos? Do they not have any photos in the house of Phil? Yes, he died when Ben was seven or eight, but no memories, no photos. Maybe he just can't see it. Maybe it took Sykesy to bring out the 
that was not similarity. But you know, let's get on to the very important subject here: lemon drizzle mm. cake. Yeah. Leonard says you can't beat a lemon drizzle. What's your view, Q? Um, I like a lemon drizzle, but I think there are finer, finer cakes to be had. I'm telling you this now, listeners, that Philip is looking down at an exhaustive list. I can see her eyes drift down. So I'll keep it brief because hers is going to be long. I don't think you can beat really a Victoria sponge on a good day. Chocolate cake, obviously. I do love a chocolate cake. And I am coming round to the coffee cake. Well, if a lemon drizzle is moist enough, and has a nice sugary topping, then I'm up for it. But if it's dry and got lots of bits of lemon rind that then I have to pick off, I'm not interested. Your goal is a chocolate cake where the ratio of buttercream to sponge is equal. That is the finest type of cake. I will allow a coffee and walnut, but again, I'm looking for a strong ratio of buttercream to sponge. No walnuts. I don't like walnuts in cakes. Why do you want walnuts in a cake? Because it's coffee and walnut cake. That's what you have. It's like P and Q, coffee and walnut. Okay. Uh, back to Mia. Congratulate. I think, you know, in these era of cuts, if the Archers team, you know, need to <laughs> to get value for money, they ought to bring in Mia because she can do four characters in one there, can't she? It's brilliant. So those are the calls, but you can also send us an email if you'd prefer. Visit the dumptydum.com website and click the Contact Us tab at the top of the page. Please keep them brief, up to a maximum of 250 words. And remember also you need to be 18 or over to submit any views or comments. And so we go from our caller innerers to our email innerer. And our email this week is from the wonderful Anon of Ambridge. Wonderful, eh? Okay. Following me around, aren't they, Anon of Ambridge? Dear P&Q, I'm very worried. I asked for my usual toasted, I think you mean, they mean toasted sandwich, and Helen said I was always choose the same filling and I should go for something different. Is this fair? I always have ham and cheese. I did not know there were options. Please help. What filling should I ask for? Anon of Ambridge. Well, Anon, I, I'm, a, I'm a ham and cheese man many a time. I like a ham and cheese toaster sandwich. But, uh, you know, when I'm really pushing the boat out, I, I do like a brie and cranberry mm. toaster sandwich. Ooh. Are you impressed by that, Philippa? I am, yeah. I'm not a fan of ham and cheese because you might pull a bit of ham out and it's burning hot and then it sort of yes st- sticks itself to your chin. Yeah, it's, it's not a good look. I'm a fan of cheese and mushroom. Yep. But Anon, you might, if you've got to keep Helen in your good books, I mean, don't worry if she's not a fan of, of yours. I, I wouldn't let that fret you. But if you want to get in her good books, then ask for ham and Borsetshire blue. I don't know how well that goes as a combination with ham, but obviously that would endear you to Helen. I've got to say, the the queen of toasted sandwiches is a baked bean toasted sandwich. That really is the stuff of legends. But they are very hot. God, you can burn your, burn your mouth on those, can't you? Yes, you have to cut them in half and allow cooling time before have you Have you bought them. one from Greg's before? Blimey, they're hot. I've never bought anything from Greg's in my life. What? You've missed out. It's a magnificent shop. It's got loads of good stuff in it. Doesn't it just sell sausage rolls? Nope, loads more. You'd love it. Honest. Thank you, Anon, for your superb email. Please keep them coming because they just serve to wind queue up. A great deal. Thank you for your calls and emails. We love them. Do keep calling in. Next week, we'll be hosted by our Jacqueline and Stephen, who are planning to record on Saturday morning. So I've asked for calls, emails and other contributions by midnight on Friday. Talking of Stephen, we now return to him for part two of his history of parish priests in Ambridge. This is the BBC Live programme. Here is the news. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here is the second and final part of a two-minute history of the Vicars of Ambridge. Last time, we left Ambridge in 1990 with Jerry Buckle having decided not to return from his trip to Africa. His successor arrived in August 1991, just in time for the village fete, accompanied by an old English sheepdog called Patch. Robin Stokes was only a part-time vicar, a non-stipendary minister in church terms. His main job was as a vet. It was Robin who counselled Shula after her ectopic pregnancy and Elizabeth after her experiences with Cameron Fraser. He became close to Caroline Bone, surprising given her lack of religious faith. They were already engaged when Caroline was severely injured in the incident that killed Mark Hebden in 1994. As she slowly recovered, she decided that she couldn't marry Robin, and he left the village in 1995. On his departure, the diocese decided to combine the parishes of Ambridge, Pennyhassett and Edgeley with Darrington, whose vicar at the time was Janet Fisher. Susan Carter, Burton, Frieda Fry and Peggy Woolley were distinctly unhappy with the prospect of a woman vicar, although only Peggy took the drastic step of worshipping at a different church, All Saints Borchester, while Janet was in place. In 2001, Janet found herself strongly attracted to the village doctor, Tim Hathaway. In 2002, the bishop advised her that she would not be able to stay in Ambridge if she wanted to build a life with Tim, even after his divorce from Siobhan so she decided that she would need to move on, taking up a position in Southampton, where Tim later joined her. She left Ambridge at the start of 2003. There was an extended interregnum in the four parishes, although Suresh Matai arrived for a month shortly before Easter as a temporary stand-in, covering the busiest part of the church year. Then, once again just in time for the village fate, a new vicar, the widowed Alan Franks, arrived, bringing with him his daughter Amy and visits from his dynamic mother-in-law, Mabel. Alan caused controversy in the village by falling in love with and then marrying Usha, who is a Hindu. Shula was shocked to discover a statue of a Hindu god in the newly redecorated vicarage. But Alan has worked through this and many other crises in Ambridge, and in July he will be marking 20 years in post. Wow, fascinating again. I can't believe that Alan's been there for 20 years or he will be in July this year. That's incredible. He's a spring chicken in terms of the archers, isn't he? Yes, that's true. Well, thank you very much for that, Stephen. And let's move on to Facebook as we need to say an how-do to you two to Pam, Dom, Anne, Rosie, Tracy, Tony, Mike and Jacqueline. Not that one. So what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Well, we should sit back for a roundup with the wonderful Suey, but sadly the same microphone problems. I'm really sorry for Suey because she put all the work in. So you've taken all her hard work. and I have. I've sat down and I've listened to what I could hear and I've transcribed it. So this is most of what Suey would have said. And she says there was an awful lot on the Facebook page. And she was only going to mention one thing from the coronation. Darcy Augustin said, I've been awake since 2.40 PDT. I've still half a bottle of champagne and an untouched frozen quiche. On a different subject, Joanne Smith posted, I saw a beautiful painted tagine in a store today. Thought of Jennifer. Who do you think ended up with hers? It hasn't been mentioned so far, has it? Tom and Natasha came in for an ear bashing. Jonah Titchmar said, in no uncertain terms, Natasha, he did tell you earlier, it's just that you had a tantrum until he was scared into changing his mind. And for once in his life, he was right about something. Now, after Suey had recovered from reading that, she spotted Susan de la Mer reflecting that he knew it was wrong from the start. He does need to stand up to Natasha. I find her a very complex character, so helpful at sometimes, and a total diva at others. 
Rosie Taylor added, The contract was for the ad to be in perpetuity, wasn't it? Bit hard to stop doing it. They'll still be doing it when someone will spot the twins in the ad soon. Pam Delay pointed out that bailing out of an enterprise after terrible decision-making is classic Tom. On to Eurovision, there was much discussion about Ryland Clark Neal's appearance and where he's going to stay. Witherspoon wondered whether there are any posh hotels in Borsetshire. But Paul Newman chipped in with, Ryland is never going to put up with a shared bathroom. While staying at Ambridge Hall was possible, sharing a bathroom with Ruth, David and Ben was never going to happen. And Kate Nichols added, it's so ridiculous that he would have time to pop in on his way to Liverpool and stay a night in the B&B. Storylines have to be a bit believable. I'm not enjoying this storyline, even though I love Eurovision. Joanne Smith commented, and here I was grateful for the explanation of who Rylan is for the American audience. Little did I know that loads of you guys didn't know who he was either. Sui's favourite moment of the week was when Lindy Bottom said she didn't really know anything about Radio 2. Darcy Ogerton not only had to Google Ryan Clark Neal, but also Radio 2. As Sui always says, there's loads to enjoy on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page. Plenty of new members are joining and established ones resurfacing and taking part in the chat. Remember to be kind to one another and play nicely. Well, thank you, Sue, for all your hard work. I'm just sorry it, the technology let you down. And thanks to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. You'll also find us on Twitter under at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag. It's all one word using a capital T and A so the visually impaired can enjoy any Archers based tweets. Also, don't forget that hashtag is your gateway to the hugely enjoyable tweet along. As well as at Dumpty Dum, we're both on Twitter. I can be found at QuickBook Review with a three instead of a W. It still bugs you, doesn't it? And I'm at 13 Minute Man. That's one three minute man. As ever, Purple Pumpkin is here to hand out the gongs. Hello, it's Fry here. Uh, No, not that one. And now on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Philippa, Quentin and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. May I say it was lovely to meet you both in Brum and it's great to have the old team back together for this week. Over on Twitter, hashtag the archers this week has been very preoccupied with all matters bunting. Did you know the origin of the word is unknown, but it maybe has some connection with German bunt for coloured or colourful and the Dutch bont? party coloured. Thank you at Jem Butters. There was also a lot of excitement at mentions of Rylan and the Reverend Richard Coles, both of whom are on Twitter. The Reverend Richard Coles was tagged by the tweet along and said he would do anything but lambing, to which Michael Lumsden, who plays Alistair, responded, offering help with anything tricky. Here's hoping the scriptwriters are listening. Also on Twitter, there are a lot of pictures of what might be the dress Jolene is lending to Tracy for the wedding. If you like rhinestones and leatherette, or if you're just a Dolly Parton fan, do take a look. And so to my medals for Tweets of the Week. I have to say the Twitter arty were on fine humorous form this week, so it was a tough call. In bronze position, it's regular madding crowd at further from. I'm assuming Julian Lloyd-Jones, his man bun and his teeny tiny shorts will never darken our plot lines again. In silver, it's at Jen J. Stephen, Ambridge Pony Club of this parish. Poor Kirsty. Even her work partner Rex seems to have overlooked her birthday. Yes, Helen has her trauma, but being abandoned at the altar, losing a child and being married to a modern slaver, then ending up alone and renting from Roy is no picnic. And the gold medal goes to Robert Martin at Robert HM75. What a cliffhanger. Will Ryland find a room at the inn at Brookfield? Will he remember who Mick is? Would the Reverend Richard Coles remember who Joy was if he ever bumped into her again? It's all too much. I need to lie down. Well, that's it for this week. See you all on Twitter next time. Oh, it was so lovely to meet you in Birmingham Purple Pumpkin as well. It really was. It was. And to do the live tweet along. Yes. With all the other fellow tweeters, led by Purple Cuppy. 
And don't forget, we are on Instagram at Dumpty Dum with some great posts. Thanks to the wonderful Katie. If you want to be Instagrammer of the week, just tag Dumpty Dum and throw in some hashtags. The Archers, Dumpty Dum. I am the only one who did it this week, apparently. So does that mean I get an award? No. No, no, you don't, Philippa. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our contributors and to our social media supremos. Shambridge for our voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Roy Phil Brown, and of course, Jacqueline Bethel. Thank you for listening and joining us today. I've loved every single minute of it. Well, I'm off to practice singing The Lonely Goat Herd to absolutely no one. <laughs> it's a bye-bye from me. And I'm off to squeeze my front double with ensuite into a pair of lederhosen. Until next time, bye-bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.